Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Forward 40. I cannot believe that we have officially made it to our 40th guest, and this is a big, big celebration for us, and I'm very, very excited for the guests that we have in the guest chair today, Nicole Lynn Lewis, who is a social entrepreneur, mother, wife, and also the founder and CEO of Generation Hope. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you. So for our listeners, Generation Hope, it's a nonprofit that, you know, it has a two-generation solution to poverty. And it does this with one family at a time by providing mentoring resources and services to help D.C. area teen parents become college graduates and help their children enter kindergarten at higher levels of school readiness. And the reason why I was drawn to Nicole's work, uh, we're going to jump into some exciting news that she has to share for this episode. Um, But especially during this time where we have experienced and we're now situated in the recovery efforts and what that may mean for us as a nation and also as a globe around the pandemic, um, there's a lot that we may not have factored in previously, but the duality and the holistic approach in which Nicole and her team provide supports for teen parents and also student parents is something that I feel that the sector at large needs to be aware of, and then also policymakers and philanthropy. So with that, we can jump right in. Um, Nicole, Generation Hope, it was born, pun intended there, uh, in, two, <laughs> in 2010. Um, and the, the, the organization is very much tied to your personal experience. As you put it to me, it was clear to me that it needed to exist. What was the moment for you that you said, okay, this is what I have to do. I have to start this organization. And what kept you in the building process to see it through to what it is today? Yeah. Um, So I think Generation Hope really came to be at a a crossroads for me personally and professionally. I was, um, you know, newly married. Um, My husband and I had two daughters, a 10-year-old and a 10-month-old. Um, and uh, I had been consulting for um, a couple of years with a, a national nonprofit, and um, it was about the time that the economy uh, in 2010 had, you know, 2009 was still trying to recover from kind of the chaos, um, and I had, uh, my consulting contract had ended with that nonprofit, uh, and, you know, my husband and I were having kind of this come to Jesus conversation Mm -hmm. about, you know, how are we going to pay the bills? And we've got, you know, um, two mouths to feed, four mouths to feed, you know, what are we going to do? 
And he really, uh, you know, he said to me, um, what do you feel like God is calling you to do? Mm. And it was a real um, invitation for me to think big and to kind of dream about, um, you know, exactly that. What, what could be next for me and what did I really feel from a life purpose standpoint um, was next for me? And um, at the same time, you know, I had, I had lived the mission of Generation Hope. I, was, I had been a teen mom in college myself. And um, that experience, I came out of, you know, college really wanting to give back. And so mm-hmm. over the, the past few years, I had this nagging feeling that, you know, I really wanted to do something to help other young parents become college graduates and be successful. And um, something that really uh, stuck with me was where there were two things. One was that there was no organization in the D.C. area that was helping teen parents become college graduates, very mm-hmm. few across the country. And a statistic um, that kind of fueled my fire was that less than 2% of teen moms get a degree before age 30. Wow. And uh, so, you know, it was a moment for me to say, you know, I've been really um uh, you know, bothered by the gap in services uh, for young families. And at the same time, you know, the statistics that are so dismal for this population. And here was an opportunity for me to think about what what could I do? Um, and those two things really came together. I, I, I prayed about it that night and woke up the next morning and wrote the business plan wow. uh, for Generation Hope. And it felt very organic. It was, it kind of flowed very easily, um, you know, it's when you have the lived experience um, that you can bring to the table when you're creating social solutions, I think it creates an authenticity um, that is really wonderful in terms of designing programming. And so that really, you know, it really came very freely in that way. And, and I think, you know, what kept me focused on building it um, each day and it really literally building it brick by brick because I didn't have, you know, seed funding. Bill Gates was not at my door uh, <laughs> saying, you know, here's a check to get it started. Um, I think what kept me building it was just wanting to, um, knowing that it needed to exist and mm. feeling like if I didn't do it, um, then who else was going to do it? And also that there was, you know, there were people out there um, who who needed this to exist. Mm. And that was was really um, a big motivation and it, it continues to be a motivation for me today. Wow. Thank you so much. And thank you for just blessing me with, um, so for, for those that are listening right now, like there was a slight delay even in this session right now. And now I, I, I received chills as Nicole was sharing that, um, just from her testimony of really, looking deeper, um, praying about it and really responding in a place of recovery, right? Like the economy was at a big pivotal juncture um, about a decade ago, right? And here we are situated right now where a lot of people um, are being forced to question um, their their purpose. Um, What Mm -hmm. could they, you know, what could they be doing with their lives? Because what they were dependent on may no longer exist anymore. Um, so thank you again, Nicole, for just sharing that because it truly blessed me um, that oh, we're having yeah. such a timely discussion um, yeah. about this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, you know, there's a stigma that is associated um, despite, you know, <laughs> what the media, for example, like the show Teen Moms or whatever, there still is a 
stigma that is associated with teen pregnancy and specifically for young black mothers. And I'll even extend to fathers. Um, how have you managed to create support and build champions around your, your mission and your work in spite of that? And as I guess, as you were growing as a, a leader and knowing that this work is so closely tied to your lived experience, what toll, if any, did it take on you as a social entrepreneur and a nonprofit leader? Yeah, um, I think, you know, a big thing is that the stigma surrounding teen parents, teen mothers and fathers and teen pregnancy, a lot of it is is about um, people not understanding teen pregnancy and the complexities of the issue. Um, and, and people not understanding, um, particularly as we talk about Black mothers and fathers, um, the racial disparities um, that exist and, and um, the racism and the oppression that that can keep um, young black um, mothers and fathers and, and black youth um, from opportunities. And um, I really think that a big thing for us as an organization, and I talk to my staff a lot about this, is that we have to be educators. Mm. We have to educate people about um, the complexities of this issue. Um, and I think you know, many people think they know about teen pregnancy because they knew someone or um, they watched Teen Mom on MTV or <laughs> something like that. Um, but it is a complex issue. And, um, you know, what what I often tell people is that it, it is really, um, it's not the first thing that has happened in a young person's life. We often think in our minds that a young person has, you know, everything they need, they're doing great, they have a wonderful, you know, support system and great home life, and then they make uh, this decision and that results in a teen pregnancy. And that's not the case. And doing this work for the past 10 years, and even in my own life, um, teen pregnancy was, was, is often the symptom of a larger problem that existed long before. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, helping people understand that is really important in terms of trying to diffuse that stigma. Yeah. Um, you know, a story I often tell is, is the first applicant that we had to Generation Hope. I was so excited. We were so excited. You know, you kind of talk about the people that you're going to serve in hypotheticals as you're building a program. And um, I was so thrilled to rip open this application. Back then, we did we did it on we didn't do it online. We did it in you know paper <laughs> applications. And um, I looked at you know looked just kind of skimming over the application and saw that this young woman had become pregnant at 11 years old wow. and had wow. given birth to her child at 12. And um, it 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 is a it was such a heartbreaking moment for me. Um, my daughter at the time was 11, wow. you know, almost 12. And um, it was so hard for me to wrap my mind around that number. And I think um, that's a great way for people to understand, again, the complexities of this. You know, this we have students in our program who were molested. We have students in our program who grew up in foster care, who grew up in extreme uh, poverty, um, who didn't know their parents or one of their parents due to incarceration. Um, we have, you know, young men in our program who uh, have dealt with losing um, friends and uh, family members to gun violence throughout their entire lives. Um, and so I think the more that we talk about um, the complexities of this, what is really going on in the lives of young people, 
um, the more that we can help people to understand that that stigma comes from not truly understanding this issue and mm-hmm. what is happening um, in the lives of young people. And I think um, we also really try to focus on things that people, everyone can appreciate, like everyone can appreciate the importance of family um, yes. in any form. You know, I think that's a common theme that we can all cling to. We, we understand the importance and the value of family. And so at Generation Hope, regardless of what you think about teen pregnancy, um, we know that most people believe in the importance of strong families. Mm. And that's something that we really try to emphasize and talk about um, not only the future of our students, but wanting to invest in the future of their children. This next generation deserves every bit of support that we can provide to make sure that they're successful. Um, So really helping people to latch on to those things that all of us care about and believe are important um, has been really integral in in inspiring um, champions for the work that we do, do. Um, I think, you know, the toll that that it's had on me in terms of the stigmatization, I, I don't know that I would say it's taken a toll on me. Okay. Part of it is that I live the stigma, right? Mm. I was a teen mom myself. And so this stigma isn't new to me because I personally had the judgment and the scrutiny and um, the criticism. I often talk about it seeing a scarlet letter, mm-hmm. you know, on your back. I, I had my daughter with me in college and it wasn't something that I tried to hide or that I could hide. Mm. <laughs> so um, I think the fact that I have, have personally lived that stigmatization, um, it has helped me develop a tough skin as I do this work. Um, it, it's not easy, but I think it has helped me as a nonprofit leader. Wow. Wow. Um, and I, I like how you, it's, you're in the position of an educator, right? So it's not just mm-hmm. you're providing programming and services, but you're in the edu- educational um, space as well. And I know that those that are um, saw themselves as traditional teachers, um, even now, <laughs> like in, in this moment, they're even finding that they're playing the role of social worker um, mm. and, and, you know, also crisis management um, as it relates to to their students. Um, so I appreciate that you're, as a nonprofit leader and as an executive, that you're also saying that that is a role um, that the sector plays, but then also your organization plays uh, for uh, the constituents of, of Generation yeah. Hope. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, now, as you were building the organization, um, this is what uh, was so humbling for me to hear. Uh, (laughs) there were sacrifices that you made. Um, can you share some of those sacrifices with our listeners and what did that teach you about leadership in general, especially those that are, um, aspiring to be social entrepreneurs, um, start a venture, you know, for themselves? Yeah. Um, so one big one is that uh, I didn't draw a salary from the organization for the first four years. Um, we were all volunteer um, at the start, um, of course, because as I said, we were really just building the organization brick by brick. Um, and then when we did receive our first grant, the very first grant that we received was for $50,000. And I made an intentional decision to pay our um, program manager uh, before I 
paid myself. Mm. Um, so I wanted to make sure that that was a full salaried position uh, so that our scholars, our students would always have that consistent support. They would always have uh, that person to go to to help them you know, navigate things in terms of school and life. Um, it would never be a situation where, oh, that person can't talk because they're working their other job. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that meant for me was that I had to work other jobs. I had to work a full-time job elsewhere and then also really work full-time running an organization. And so um, really long work weeks, you know, 70 to 80 hour weeks of, of working both um, late nights, a lot of weekend work. Um, I remember my husband saying to me one day, like, you need to be home more, <laughs> you know, because a lot of starting an organization is going out and shaking hands and meeting people. And so I would work my full time job during the day. And then at night, I would go to networking events or different places where I could spread the word about Generation Hope. Mm. Um, so it was really a lot. And um, I think that was a big, a big sacrifice. Um, I would say another was just really um you know, there was no, I mean, I've always had the title of CEO, but I have pretty much done almost every job Mm. in our organization. Um, And that's because in the beginning, you kind of roll up your sleeves and you do what needs to get done. And I think it was really good for me to one, understand the perspectives of of everybody kind of working at Generation Hope to to understand the nuances of their job. Mm. Um, But also, you know, really to understand the importance of that, like hierarchy is so not important, you know what I mean? And I think um, that is how we've built the organization. And that's a, that's a real, without it being a stated value, um, it is a real value at Generation Hope where, um, you know, some days I might have to chip in and help load a truck um, or, you know, some days um, I'm, if a, if a team member has, uh, is having a challenge, um, you know, I might hop on the phone with them and help them crunch some numbers. Um, and so I think in terms of leadership, it really, you know, taught me a lot about what true leadership is. And it's not your title. It's not um, uh, all the accolades that sometimes come with, with being a CEO. It's can you inspire a team? Um, can you build a team? Um, and can you help a team reach, you know, these ambitious goals that you have? And I think those are the most important things um, that, you know, that I learned in the process of growing the organization. Wow. Can you inspire? Can you build? And then can you help that team reach the goals? I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and I am so one that appreciates, um, you know, you even speaking to the distinction between holding a title um, and leadership because they, they are different. It's great when you're able to um, maybe have the accolades and, and the title and all of that, that, you know, the credentials that come with it, but it's really like the heart of the leader um, that, that really, really matters. So thank you. Yeah. Um, I learned from you, like there's a distinction between teen parents and student parents. So if you can break that down for us, that'll, that'll be great. Um, what, have yes. you, what have you witnessed in terms of like the evolution around the discourse? around, yeah, you know, yeah. student parenting and um, teen parents? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so student parents, um, I would describe that group as almost an umbrella group. And and under the umbrella of student parents would be, um, it could be um, parents, uh, you know, of any age. It could be a homemaker who has decided after her children are grown 
um, and opt to college themselves or working themselves to go back to college or to go to college and start school. Um, she may be in her, you know, 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a, a veteran, I mean, a, a military family where you have, um, you know, a, a spouse who is in the military um, and their, and their uh, partner who is not and kind of travels and is, is raising a family and also going to school to get their, their post-secondary credential. Um, so it's, it's a big umbrella uh, uh, group of folks, um, obviously encompasses both mothers and fathers. And um, teen parents is a subset of that group. And those would be um, individuals who have had a child at, at 19 or younger. Um, and um, in our program, we accept them into our program up to age 25 or younger. So they can be 25 years old or younger at the time that they apply to our program. Now, they can stay in our program typically for up to six years if they need to. Um, okay. So we do support, uh, you know, parents who are, you know, late 20s, 30s, for mm, example, okay. um, and in our program, but that they have had a child at age 19 or younger. Okay. Um, so it is a distinction of the student parent group that they had a child young um, and um, that they are, you know, within that teen to 19 to, you know, 20s kind of age range. Um, and they're pursuing their college degree. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, for us, what we've witnessed in terms of how uh, the evolution of the discourse of, of these two populations is that, um, you know, if, when I started Generation Hope, very few people were talking about parenting college students or student parents. Um, it was not a hashtag. It was not um, a particular <laughs> funding priority for philanthropy. Um, it was it was just not something that was widely talked about. Um, and uh, today, you know, 10 years later, it is a thing. It's, it's a hashtag on Twitter. It is, um, there are Uh, foundations that are specifically looking to fund student parent work. Um, Mm -hmm. We're starting to have uh, research and reports about what student parents are experiencing Mm -hmm. in college and going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a ton of work to do. A lot of people, even those who are working in higher ed, still don't know enough about student parents and are not talking enough about this route. But um, again, there has been this this growth and this momentum um, in a positive direction. I think for teen parents, when I started Generation Hope, um, the the discussion around teen parents was very negative, very stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, um, something that was talked about because, again, you did you did have um, it in the media. You had, you know, there was this national discussion about teen pregnancy, but it it, it was very negative. And it was, that was kind of what dominated the conversation. Um, You know, fast forward 10 years and we're pretty much still in the same place where it is really a negative connotation when you, when you mention the words teen, you know, the words teen parents um, or teen pregnancy, uh, highly stigmatized, very negative. Um, It is wrapped up in a ton of um, uh, biases about race and uh, gender and, you know, all sorts of things. And, um, that has been uh, an interesting kind of evolution or lack of evolution to watch. And um, I think, again, we have a lot of work to do to get to a better place with that conversation. Yes, yes. And thank you for pointing out, you know, there's there's so many layers um, and it is an intersectional 
issue. Um, and especially, you know, with the pandemic 2020, there was a lot of things that were exacerbated as it related to race, racism, classism. Um, as you kind of like, even though we're like very <laughs> early on in 2021, as you reflect on 2020, what was the biggest lesson that you learned, um, as it was related to, to the work and, um, I guess like the supports that are, that are needed for this population and Mm -hmm. what keeps you hopeful now um, that we're kind of in this new administration (laughs) um, era and also um, a new year. Yeah. Um, I think a big thing for me, I mean, I've learned a lot this year, (laughs) last year, sorry. Thank God we're out of 2020. Um, I've learned, I learned a lot in 2020. Um, about, you know, just leadership and, and um, community and um, health. I mean, there's just a mm. ton. But um, I think that one, one big thing for me is, is I think for all of us who are working with, you know, in the community, um, we know from our work um, how many people are living on the, on the edge, mm. how many people are living right at the cliff. Mm. Um, we also know how... Um, how real uh, racism and oppression and injustice are. Like mm-hmm. we see it in the lives of our families. For those of us who are um, uh, leaders of color, particularly black leaders, we live it. Um, and so uh, that is that is a reality for us. What has been interesting is those who do not work in the community and who are not in the trenches um, and doing this work, how far removed they are from the reality that mm-hmm. there are so many people in this country that are living on the cliff mm-hmm. and right at the edge. And I think um, the pandemic has made that very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're seeing it. I, I was just talking to a reporter this morning about um, black women, black mothers with young children really having feeling the brunt yes. of unemployment in this yes. pandemic. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she was talking about how surprised she was by that number, that number, you know, that fact does not surprise me in the work that I'm doing. Um, but, you know, that it, it was an opportunity through this pandemic to say, you know, I think a lot of people are saying who's been most affected and, um, and, and why. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, that has been an interesting kind of um, uh, step back for me as we're talking to people about this pandemic and helping them to understand mm-hmm. what, families are going through right now, particularly black families and um, families of color, um, that, that it, everybody doesn't understand. Everybody doesn't know um, things that we often say that's obvious. Um, it's not obvious to people who aren't doing this work each and every day. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, what can we do to educate, to inform, to um, tell the stories mm-hmm. and bring Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really bring people into the realities of what are people experiencing? What are people going through? Yes. Um, and that's the way that we're going to create change. That's the way we're going to garner support. Um, but that, that was a big, a big kind of lesson, I mm-hmm. think for me. Yes. And on, in that vein of tell stories, it's a nice segue. Um, <laughs> um, because you have a forthcoming book. Uh, entitled yeah. Pregnant Girl, A Story of Teen Motherhood, College, and Creating a Better Future for Young Families. Um, and it's set to be released in this spring, in, in May, right? 
Yeah, Mother's Day. Wonderful, wonderful. Very excited. Um, <laughs> what do you hope young parents receive from the book? And similarly, what's your call um, or call to action or charge for policymakers and philanthropy? Yeah, so I think for young parents, um, I just remember for myself being in the in the thick of things um, as I was trying, even before I started college, I was pregnant. I was in a really um, tumultuous relationship with my daughter's father. We were, again, you know, homeless for periods of time. It was really hard for me to see a way out. Mm. It was hard for me to, I held on to that dream of going to college, but it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. You know, there were nights where I was like, this is never going to happen. And, mm-hmm. um, and what am I thinking? And I'm crazy. Um, and so I think for young parents, my hope is that when they read the book, that they'll, that they'll see that no matter what they're in right now, um, that, that there is light, mm-hmm. um, that there is um, possibility um, for them to pursue those things that, you know, they're passionate about. It could be college, it could be a career, it could be, um, you know, starting a business, that, that there is hope. Um, that's, you know, one of the, the reasons I wanted to call the organization Generation Hope because I, I feel so strongly that that if we lose hope, you know, mm-hmm. it, that we lose everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that, that they read this book and see an opportunity is always there for them. Um, and to never give up, to always, you know, continue to work towards that. Um, and I think um, also for them, like I know sometimes we all look at people who are successful, who, um, you know, have CEO, you know, behind their name or or some other title or they're, you know, an actress or what have you. And we think that they had this easy journey, mm-hmm. right, that they didn't mm-hmm. go through the things that we went through. And um and I, I want, I'm hoping that by being really vulnerable about the things that I went through, some of them incredibly difficult, that that they'll realize that, you know, um, that that they too can can do those mm-hmm. same things. So that's yes. a big thing for me. Um, and I think for policymakers and philanthropy, there's a lot in the book about the various policies that um, really work against helping families move out of poverty, helping teen parents move out of poverty. And um, and be able to go to college, for example, or move into family sustaining jobs, hmm. um, looking at policies that are quote unquote intended, uh, you know, to, to really do, um, uh, to benefit young parents and families, um, that, that they're really working against them. Hmm. Um, so a great example would be, um, uh, you know, looking at, um, uh, I talk in the book about, um, the welfare reform that happened um, to uh, to get us to TANF that we have today, yes. right? And really, this emphasis on um, you know tying benefits to working, um, incentivizing families because uh, they felt that you know, um, particularly Black moms were mooching off of the system. Um, but looking at the nuances of that legislation and really understanding here are the ways that, you know, unless you provide all of these additional supports, access to co- affordable child care, health benefits, um, real family sustaining wages, uh, or tying, um, uh, allowing time in class to count towards your work requirements, then, then we're not helping families. We're not helping them get to that next level. Um, and also just naming the fact that many of these policies were designed um, to keep families 
you know, in poverty. Um, and then for philanthropy, I really talk a lot about, um, towards the end of the book, about being a Black female um, founder and leader in the nonprofit sector and um, the, the challenges around fundraising, around garnering support, particularly significant investments. Um, and I think now, you know, we're having this conversation because of this kind of national racial reckoning um, where philanthropy as well as other systems and fields and industries are really having to look at their practices and the ways that they um, they disinvest in communities and in um, social entrepreneurs who really understand the people that they are that they want to serve and who really understand how to create change. Um, so I talk about that in the book as well and and kind of where I think there are opportunities for philanthropy to do, to do better. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much. Um, I definitely look forward to reading the book, <laughs> being informed, learning more about your journey, but I truly appreciate what you have shared um, in in this episode. And again, for you to be our 40th guest, like everyone who has supported Forward 40, thank you. Uh, this has truly, Yay. truly been a process um, and a journey that I have walked through. And I'm just so happy to have had all of you along the journey with me. And we know that we close with our wonderful tea affirmation. Um, so, Nicole, what would be your tea affirmation for our listeners? Yeah, um, so I thought about this, and I would say you are what the world needs. Mm, um, I love that. I think so often we feel like um, we have to, you know, um, perfect ourselves in order to be in a room or to be at a table, you know, to be at the table um, and uh, or that our, our, our history, our experiences um, preclude us right from, from being in certain spaces or being in certain leadership positions. And I think that they enrich us, right. I think that they make us, um, you know, they, they help us bring something to those spaces that no one else can bring. Mm. And so just remembering no matter, you know, what you've been through, what your experiences are, um, that you are what the world needs. And we need more people in those rooms, in those spaces, around those tables. Mm. Um, and that's something I often, you know, I tell myself that, 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 you know, I am what the world needs. And, and I think it, it helps me go into spaces differently. Wow. You are what the world needs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole. How do people stay in contact with you and support the work of Generation Hope? Yeah. Um, so I am on Twitter and Instagram at Nicole Lewis. Um, so my full name and uh, Generation Hope is on uh, Twitter and Instagram at support G-E-N Hope. So support Gen Hope. We're also on Facebook at Support Generation Hope, so you can find us there as well. Um, and yeah, we would love, we're very active on social media. So yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, come and join us and join the conversation. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nicole. We definitely are so honored uh, to have you one of, to be one of our 40. And we definitely look forward to reading the forthcoming book in the spring. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Until we connect again, sip, sis, say la, share, and continue to serve. <laughs>